this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. It's November 18th, a historic day in Massachusetts, and sitting here with friends who were just watching or not watching live as the Senate took a historic vote and passed Amendment 180, which lifts up some parts of the Roe Act. So um, hello, joining me today. Hello, Kate. Hi, Kate from Concord. So glad to be with you ladies today. Oh God, I wish I could be hugging all of you. I feel exactly the same way. I'm Linda from Indivisible Acton and I so wish I could be with all of you. I'm Karen from Boston Red Cloaks and we are together. We are. I mean, boy, we found a new way, haven't we? So this morning we've been listening in the background, all of us on our laptops, you know, in between doing the rest of our lives to hear when it would come up. And then it came up, as soon as it came up, they recognized Harriet Chandler, but then they brought up the amendment right away. So I missed that part. Whoever was hearing that part, what what happened? So that was amendment. Uh, so the amendment they passed was 180, but they were what I would call a counter amendment, uh, 180.1, which was brought up by I believe Senator Bruce Tarr, and he went on and on and on about how this was not a fair process and. Uh, you know, there should have been more debate and more studies and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, this has been going on since 1973. There's been plenty of studies. <laughs> rental. Plenty of debate. Yeah, and plenty of debate. And most uh, young girls who seek per, uh, judicial bypass are, are granted it. There's only really a handful. It has been studied. So you had no idea what that what he was talking about. And then there were maybe three or four men who also spoke after that in support of this anti-choice uh, amendment 180.1. And then they took a vote on it. Uh, I didn't pass, I, I wanna say 35 to five. I think there were four, four people who voted for this ridiculous amendment. Kamala's gonna hop in. Hi, this is Kamala Raj and uh, I'm clock. hey. We just were talking about that, how it, the process opened up with the further amendment 180.1 having been defeated. And then they came up on the main amendment. Um, Harriet Chandler spoke first and she was spectacular. <coughs> so Amazing. powerful. Oh, yes. Amazing. That woman is had just the courage, not the courage, but just the conviction. conviction. Courage, but it was also the conviction that she had. Yeah really bring this forward and see it through and stick with it and wow it was very powerful what she said and you know it was so easy to understand her because she wasn't going around in circles and she was concise and precise and she had supportive evidence and so forth whereas the no men were rambling for way too long and they made no sense and they showed incredible lack of curiosity and due diligence since uh, senator cynthia cream spoke and boy <gasps> she was terrific too yes. she was again very clear very cogent and she mm. really drove home the point that yes you know they seem to be making an argument like the timing is bad you shouldn't do it in process this way but she just drove home during the pandemic it's actually much less safe for people who are pregnant to access abortion care or any health care, right? Or they're less mm -hmm. secure in terms of their jobs, their finances. And mm -hmm. she just made it incredibly clear. So it mm -hmm. kind of dismissed and then further wiped off the board, the counter arguments that they were making. Hi, Lisa, we see you just popped in. Hi, I'm Lisa Bacci from the Indivisible Mass Coalition. 
Lisa, we're just reliving this morning and filling in anyone who wasn't there. Um, we were up to Senator Cream and her powerful remarks that came on just after Senator Chandler really laying out why COVID has made this so urgent to take action on right now. Yes, and, and Senator Rausch also, she was spot on. She did a great job, yeah? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we can all uh, be happy about the fact that Tran will no longer be there pretty soon. Tran and his no. Quick, quick, quick question, ladies. It sounds like all the all the people who were articulate and in favor of this were female, <laughs> and and I'm also wondering if they were if it was also a party split as well as a gender split. Women who spoke on behalf of it, men who spoke against it. No. So let me just let's go back because Jamie Eldridge spoke. Not only did Senator Eldridge speak uh, also powerfully and acknowledged um, the work of the organizations like ACLU, Planned Parenthood, NARAL who've been working, but also give a shout out to all the individual volunteers across the state who have been at this for almost two full years and then gave a special shout out to our own Linda. Linda! Same buddy, I'm taking you all with me because you are, we're with me every step of the way. Yes. yes. <laughs> it was very camp. nice to hear him give you a shout out, Linda. I, my one minute of fame, but everybody else is right behind me or right not behind me. You're right with next to me. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's awesome. So yeah. he really he was terrific. Um so yes, one and then the one person who Karen referenced spoke uh also had a lot of audio trouble. I noticed yeah, he didn't get to continue, I think. I think that was when they decided to just I uh have have uh, the clerk or whoever he is read off the votes. It seems to, they just seem to run into some sort of technical difficulty. In the end, though, it was 37 people. Wait, I'm not doing that right. What was the end vote? 33 to 7. 33 to 7. So only seven no's. And, you know, it's way more than half. It's, it's significantly more. It's more than they would need to override a veto, is my understanding. Right. It's true. And the House vote was the same way. Right. So it really, you know, the next step is going to be Governor Baker. And I think that's where we're putting our questions now is where where is governor baker on reproductive justice oh He's just been, your letter is fabulous your op-ed so let's get it out there because i think the goal and kate i'm going to send it over to you to see if you want to sign on the goal right now is really looking at him and saying are you going to finally now speak up for us mm -hmm. because the last thing he said on record directly about the real act that i can find is when he said our laws are just fine yeah, in Massachusetts. Yeah. They're fine for women and families. Frankly, he excluded he excluded people who are not women who are pregnant, which the yeah. language protects. He also made a comment along the lines of what the Republican senators were saying, that he didn't think the budget was an appropriate place for policy sorts of things. And that's a comment he made relatively recently. So I would expect he would join the four Republicans who voted against it in, yeah. in, in not supporting it and perhaps use that as his excuse. I think that's part of why that 180.1 came up, that counter amendment. I think they were trying to lay that foundation, but they just didn't get support for it because even one of them said, although we can do it this way, I just don't think we should do it this way because it sets a bad precedent for, you know, other things. And I think the colleagues, his colleagues clearly didn't agree with him. So the governor's going to have to look and say, well, way more than the majority of people in both the House and Senate thought the process was valid and that it was urgent. I found that, you know, very important that they had the debate out loud because now we all heard it. We heard the pros and the cons on the process concerns. You can actually listen to the whole 
um, Senate session um, at masslegislator.gov, I think it is. And it will be there as a recording if you want to listen in. But I also want to bring up the fact that it has to go now to conference committee, I believe. Mm -hmm. That's right. Is different than the Senate version. So they have to get together, hammer it out, and then it has to go back to both chambers to vote on it again. So it's not quite done, but we are celebrating. All right, you're right. That's a fair point. So it's going to be three people from the House and three people from the Senate are going to sit down together with the whole budget, not just Amendment 180, and they have to reconcile it. We understand it's part of why the language in both was trying to be as similar as possible, but I would highlight that the Senate version is much stronger because it includes Section 12L, and 12L actually codifies the right to access an abortion, which is very different than not saying it affirmatively. You know, it's actually the part, I think, of the whole amendment that breaks down the stigma and says abortion is healthcare and abortion is, you know, it's an affirmative thing. And I think that is, you know, spiritually, meaningfully, the center of where the Senate version is different. It also makes it so that you cannot criminalize abortion, either the person having an abortion or a medical practitioner performing an abortion. And, but we know there's states where that's what they're doing. They're trying to, to tee up criminalizing abortion. Yep. So, I mean, I'm so glad we could at least celebrate a little bit here by Zoom today. And we are still very happy and grateful to everyone who's worked so hard to get this far. Um, but it is a good reminder that there is still some work to do to make sure that the governor signs it. Now, my question is, though, if it's veto, if there are enough votes in both chambers to override a veto, how does that work? Does anybody know about that? One of the issues is the timing of it, because when the budget comes out, Baker has a certain amount of time to make decisions. And so Dave. I would think because it's in the budget, they're going to want to make sure, you know, the, the legislature is going to want to make sure that they allow enough time that they can override any gubernatorial vetoes. But there have been situations in the past where they get the budget out so close to the deadline that that window expires and whatever Baker vetoes doesn't happen. I think it's 10 days. He has 10 days. Um, so if he were to veto it, though, it, it, if it's already been voted on with enough votes to override it, do they have to go back to the and vote again? Or yeah, it, if he yeah if he if he vetoes it it goes back to them and they have to have a separate vote to override and there could be I guess other provisions he might veto so if that's the case they'll have to take it up I think it's going to be very interesting to watch because kind of like on the national front at the state level there's a small vocal group Senator Eldridge I think phrased it very nicely there's a small vocal group that is deeply opposed to abortion and so by not ever um, confronting or resolving that group. Baker, in fact, has supporters in that group on his campaign teams, and he leans in to people like Jim Lyons. So he's going to have to work that out now because that's, you know, part of his base has been people who are very opposed. On the other hand, 70% of people, right, voted for Baker and 80% of people in Massachusetts are pro-choice. So Baker's going to have to sit there and do some, you know, soul searching and political calculations. Does he want to unleash that fury by vetoing it and having, you know, a bigger I, argument? I just sent over an email to, I hope most of you, uh, I got on it, that um, was a quote from Baker when the Nasty Woman Act was passed. And his response was, it's a good day for abortion care in Massachusetts. So How that long was ago when, was that, Karen? 2018. 
Okay. Is that one nasty past? Okay. Well, that, that got referenced today in the debate on the floor, too. There was a little bit of, didn't we already do this in the Nasty Woman Act? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so, but the legislators who spoke made it, they made it very clear that, no, actually, the Nasty Woman Act didn't do this. This is very different. Yeah. So, and if he, if he gets in the way of this, then we, start, we paint him anti-choice. That's what we do. Yeah. yeah, I think he's got it. And it won't even be painting. It'll just be revealing. Yeah, that's true. Like, take, the, take the veil off. Yeah, if we scratch the surface, if you can't stand up for this, I don't see how you can be called for choice. Right. As we said, like for, for many of us, this didn't go as far as we had liked in terms of picking up the language from the Roe Act. So we still have parental consent. Neighboring states in New England don't have it. It's not like you have to have parental consent, right? So we, you know, we made a dent, but <clears throat> there's still work to do. So for Baker, it's gonna be one way or the other. He's either gonna be pro-life or anti-choice, you know? I mean, he can't get his way out of this now. Well put. I don't think he can. I think, no. I think, yeah, he's kind of, you're with us or you're against us. Yeah, either way, he's going to lose some support, period. He can't play. Last question. Yes. One, can he afford to lose the most? Tune in next week when we find out what Baker <laughs> decided. I, I was especially uh, moved by uh, Brendan Crichton from Third Essex talking about the highest rate of pregnancy, teen pregnancy in his district, and that it's primarily women of young women of color. It's about time some guy got up there and said that. Yeah. Agree. You know, on the House side, uh, Tommy Vitola put out a great post right before they voted, and he said, I've had hundreds and hundreds of postcards from mostly women, and he said, where are the lads? Mm -hmm. It's a very nice way for a man to put it to other men that they need to step up. Mm -hmm. Baker conveniently is a man who can stand up. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll sign off on the episode. We, for anyone listening, thank you and keep paying attention. Yes. Fight goes on. Thank you all. It's great to be your sisters. Thank you. Hey.